I looked up what the meaning of the name Salim is. And the Arabic definition means safe, undamaged, an emblem of solace and encouragement. That is certainly in sharp contrast to the reality of his life. This is In the Course of Human Events, a Monticello podcast. I'm David Thorson. I'm a digital guide at Monticello. And I'm Jacqueline Langholz. I'm a doctoral student at the University of Virginia and former Monticello staff. Hi, David. Hi, Jacqueline. (laughs) It's nice to see you again. Great to see you again. In this episode, Martin Claggett will relate the story of Salim the Algerian, the castaway who captured the imagination of colonial Virginia in the 1760s and whose tale becomes more fantastic with each retelling bound to the present day. My name is Martin Claggett. I have written a book called Scientific Jefferson Revealed and a book called A Spark of Genius, William Small, Thomas Jefferson, and James Watt, The Curious Connection Between the American Revolution and the Industrial Revolution. The subject we're going to talk about today is a fellow named Salim the Algerian. He was an acquaintance of William Small, Jefferson's professor at the College of William and Mary, and John Page, Jefferson's best friend, and likely had conversations with Jefferson as well. A very exotic and unusual person. Samuel Givens was a frontiersman and a hunter in western Virginia. One day on the fall of 1759, he took his son to a part of Augusta County that was well known for its abundance of deer. Alerted by the barking of his dogs, Givens found an unusual prey in a hollow log. He was ready to shoot, but realized that it was a man, emaciated and weak, covered with dirt and scratches, naked except for some rags bundled about his feet, and Givens couldn't understand a word he was saying. But he gave him a blanket and some food and took him home with him. There he nursed him back to health, and when he was sufficiently strong, he took him to a neighbor who was a prominent military officer named Colonel Dickinson. Colonel Dickinson, in turn, treated Salim like a member of his family, taught him English, and teased out a story of his life. What Colonel Dickinson found was around 1740, Salim had been born in Algeria. His father was a prominent military officer for the Bay of Turkey. His father sent him to a classical school in Constantinople. He studied Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. He studied physics, geometry, mathematics. And when his education was done, he went to make his way back home. But his ship was captured by a Spanish pirate ship, which was in turn met by a French man of war, and the captives were turned over to the French. French ship 
made its way to New Orleans, where he was sold at a slave auction. So Salem and his unfortunate compatriots were sold into slavery. Salim the Algerian. Algeria, correct me if I'm wrong, is northern Africa on the Mediterranean Sea. It is indeed. Algeria was a semi-autonomous military regency of the Ottoman Empire. And his father, apparently, is a military official. He's sent to Constantinople for an education. So he's probably 12, maybe 13 years old. And it's very likely that where he went was the University of Istanbul, which is on par with Oxford. So this is a real classical, solid education. And is it Istanbul or Constantinople in this time? In Salim's time, it's still Constantinople. I can't even imagine what that trip all the way to New Orleans must have been like. So this is like maybe two to three months total time from mm-hmm. departing Constantinople to finding himself in New Orleans. And Constantinople is on par with London. 750,000 people mm-hmm. in Constantinople at that time. We think of New Orleans today as a big town. It's 1,500 people. So he's in this little tiny town at the mouth of the Mississippi River, sold into slavery. How does that happen? This is all in the context of the Seven Years' War, what we commonly know as the French and Indian War. And we're still Um, in colonial America. The revolution has not happened. No, this is 1759-60. So it's British North America. And the British, they're fighting the French for control Mm -hmm. of all the land along the Mississippi River. And the English had signed a treaty with Algeria. So the Algerians are allies of the British Mm -hmm. and the French and the Spanish are at war with the British. So there's a battle going on and it's part of a global war and he's caught up in that. He's a prize of war. Salem's new owner was a harsh man who treated him very cruelly. Salem was not subservient enough, so the Louisiana planner sold Salem to some slavers who carried him up the Mississippi and sold Salem to the Mingo Indians. Salem remained there for three years before an Englishman told him by signs and actions that he should head to the east to escape. And he made his way to the western edges of Virginia. By the time he got there, his clothes had been torn off by brushes and brambles and thorns, and he had subsisted only on fruits and berries and nuts he could find. Having been starved and weak to protect himself, he secreted himself in the hollow of a fallen tree. It was there that Samuel Givens came upon him that day. The Mingo are a Native American nation along the Ohio-Mississippi River Valley. You may be curious, was slavery a common practice among Native American people? Right. The short answer is no, but Native American nations, through their association with the British colonists, began to adopt some British customs, including enslaving people. And so Salim finds himself sold to this Native American nation. His enslavement is somewhere along the Ohio River. So he's not walking from New Orleans to Virginia, but there's no question that this is a harrowing 
arduous journey. And then imagine Samuel Given, he's out hunting with his son, and then he comes home. And I have this mental vision of his wife saying, How was your day? How was your day? What'd you, what'd you catch? Do anything? Yeah. <laughs> what's for dinner? And he is, what does he say? It's not really what's for dinner, it's more who's coming to dinner. Introducing. Introducing this naked fellow, doesn't speak any English. What are we going to do with him? What do you do? Well, as Martin says, Samuel Given turns to John Dickinson, then a captain in the British Army. His family is very significant in Augusta County, Bath County, Virginia. He's the logical person that you would take someone like this to. And that, in fact, is what happens. Salim spent a, a good amount of time with Colonel Dickinson. Colonel Dickinson treated him like a member of the family, and Salim became fairly conversant in English. Colonel Dickinson gave him a horse, and he took Salim into Stanton with him. At the market, he noticed that Salim was staring intently at an old gentleman with white hair. That gentleman was the Reverend Craig. Salim made his way over to the Reverend Craig and asked him, could he be taken back with him to his home? Reverend Craig said, why do you want to come with me? Salim then recounted his dream in which he saw soldiers of his native country aligned out on a desert plain. Across the way was an old man with white hair and the multitude was trying to make their way toward him. As they went, the desert floor opened up and swallowed them. Some of the people started calling to the old man to ask him how they could get safely to him. The old man told them to follow his instructions. They did, and they arrived unharmed. Salim, when he saw Reverend Craig, realized this was the Savior he saw in his dream, and the instructions that he was giving were instructions in the Christian religion. Reverend Craig took Salim back home with him to Fort Defiance, Virginia, where he was pastor of the Old Stone Church. Talk about the significance of his conversion to Christianity. This is a really fascinating part of the story. What is it that makes Salim unique? It's his ability to read the Bible in Greek, and then this tale of his vision and conversion to Christianity. This is all in the context of the Great Awakening, this evangelical movement that spreads from New England southward Mm -hmm. into Virginia. It's the idea that people can develop a personal relationship with God Mm -hmm. and they don't need a preacher to relate the story of Jesus to them. And so his conversion, his vision, it plays right into the hands of colonial Virginians who are undergoing this same great awakening. Mm -hmm. And it feels in some ways like a confirmation of the tenets of the great awakening. It's an example of the power of the great awakening. This Muslim heathen The power of God and Christ converts him. This is an example of the power of evangelicism. Mm -hmm. He represents the truth for this. And it also reminds me a little bit of Pocahontas and her conversion. 
I think that's a great observation, Jacqueline, because if we think about Pocahontas, if we think about Salim, are they telling their story? We know of these people through the lens of others. Who's controlling their narrative? Salim lived with Reverend Craig for some time, and finally he was telling Reverend Craig how he sorely missed his parents and his homeland. Reverend Craig wrote to Robert, the counselor Carter, a prominent person in Williamsburg, and asked him, is there some way they could arrange to get Salim back to his parents? In the meantime, while arrangements were being made, Salim was sent to Williamsburg, and there he was known to have read Greek with both President Harks of the College of William and Mary and William Small, professor and mentor to Thomas Jefferson. He was passed around, being such an exotic and interesting person, family to family, as a welcome guest and informative entertainment. He spent, however, the majority of his time with the pages where he was a great favorite. College of William and Mary, Colonial Williamsburg, this is the center of political, economic, and intellectual power in the entire colony of Virginia at that time. So think about the people that Salim is encountering. These are the powerful elite of colonial Virginia. And the Page family, John Page, is very good friends with Thomas Jefferson. It's a matter of speculation as to whether or not Jefferson met Salim in Williamsburg. Jefferson's a student at the College of William and Mary. And you hear a fondness in my voice, class of 05. That's not me. It, I'm not, not 1805. <laughs> not, not 1805 or 1905. Keep it, keep it nice. Keep it nice. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Jefferson's 1760. He's 17 years old, right? He's a student. Mm-hmm. We know that he owned a copy of the Quran. He buys that when he's in Williamsburg. Mm, interesting. And it goes all back to his possible encounter with Salim. Salim seems like the kind of person that a lot of people in Williamsburg are talking about. It's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. You can imagine he's the talk of the town. Yeah. His conversion, does it remove some of his otherness in the thinking of the other leading figures in the story? It It definitely does. I don't think there's any question about that. Mm -hmm. Salim's level of education, his conversion to Christianity, now put him in a completely different category. Mm -hmm. Is he the equal in the eyes of these colonial Virginians? I'm not sure we can say that, but he has currency. Mm -hmm. He has agency Mm -hmm. that others would not have who didn't possess that education or that conversion to Christianity. There's another aspect of this story that fascinates me because I think to myself, how could colonial Virginians relate to his story? Mm -hmm. The best-selling work of fiction is Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe, Mm -hmm. right? You know, we may remember vaguely the story. Oh, Robinson! It's like are there pirates and pirates, a a shipwreck. But this is also a tale of conversion to Christianity. So there's these parallels. Mm 
And you're saying this is popular and being read at this time. Absolutely. Any well-educated colonial Virginian is going to have Defoe's works in his library. And then contemporaneous with the publication of Robinson Crusoe is 1001 Arabian, Arabian Nights. Nights. So here's this guy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He's right out of two books. Meanwhile, is he a guest in he, many people's homes? So he's he, got to have benefactors here. I mean, he was literally paying for him to eat and be clothed and giving him a place to sleep. I think that's where John Page, Jefferson's friend, comes on the stage. It's pretty clear that of all the people that he encounters, that it's John Page who takes Salim under his wing. And his family goes back generation after generation. That Rosewell, probably the grandest of the plantation houses in all of colonial Virginia at that time. And they seem to have a closeness. And that friendship literally lasts for decade mm -hmm. after decade. They wrote to Lord Hillsborough in London and asked if there was some way that he could send Salim to London to meet the Algerian ambassador and get Salim back to his parents by the good graces of the English nation. Finally, Lord Hillsborough arranged it. Salim met the Algerian ambassador in London and he arranged passage for Slim back to his family, back to Algeria. Once he arrived in Algeria, his parents received him gladly, but when they found out he had adopted the Christian religion and refused to renounce it, they sent him out of the house and away from them. He made his way back to England and finding no benefactors there, nor way to make a living, he resolved to return to America. First, he made his way to Colonel Dickinson's in the western part of the state. After a while, he returned to Williamsburg with John Page to Rosewell, and there he resided for most of the rest of his life with the Pages. Around 1762-1763, he goes back home to Algeria, where his conversion to Christianity and his refusal to re-embrace the Muslim religion creates a rift in the family. And now he's persona non grata in his own family. So what's his identity? He doesn't seem to where fit in either place. Does he belong anywhere? Is he a castaway no matter where? And what fascinates me is this. The next time we hear from him is about 1789, 30 years later, when he shows back up on the shores of Virginia. That is a significant amount of time. What's he doing? No one knows. And we have to imagine that Salim is 50 or older at this point, just by quick math. And I have to wonder, was he lonely? Did he have love interests? Did he have a family? We don't know of any children. That whole aspect of his life, we know nothing. There's a 30-year gap. gap in his story. Mm -hmm. We know none of the details. Salim's life story seems to be nothing but trauma. He's a teenager when he's captured. He goes through all these horrible experiences through two forms of enslavement. He goes back home. He's rejected by his own family. He's really an outcast as a Christian in Muslim right. Algeria. 
Is there any place where he was loved or he was happy, even Mm -hmm. in a marginal sense? And then we find out that he's back with John Page. I think in in his, his story is he's returning to the one place where he had currency, mm-hmm. where he had agency. And who does he find himself with? The one person who seems to have genuinely cared for him, mm-hmm. and that's John Page. At one point during his stay, he accompanied John Page to the Philadelphia Convention where Charles Wilson Peale was doing portraits of all the delegates. When it came to John Page, he insisted that Salim's picture be painted. That picture was sent back to Rosewell, and when it arrived, the whole family was astonished to find it was not a picture of their father, but rather Salim. Nevertheless, it was given a place of honor above the mantel in the Great Hall at Rosewell. When John Page died in 1808, his papers and the portrait ended up at the house of his youngest daughter, Lucy Burwell Page. During the Civil War, the portrait disappeared, and Lucy Burwell Page said that it was taken by a Union soldier. Ms. Margaret Cook, The archivist at the College of William and Mary found for me letters from a Union soldier named Sam Putnam to his parents in Worcester, Massachusetts in 1864. Those letters reported that I have some letters for you that I have found in an old house in Williamsburg that belonged to the former Lieutenant Governor John Page. They are from Heroes of the Revolution, Thomas Jefferson, Sage of Monticello, Charles Lee, Light Horse Henry Lee, and others. He later wrote that he had a couple of his comrades bringing up more books and letters from Williamsburg and noted, I'm glad to hear that you got that great bulky elephant of a portrait. It doesn't specifically say that it was Salim the Algerian, but it is not unlikely. Where that portrait is, where those letters are, remains unsolved for the present, but it's likely that they ended up in Massachusetts. During the Battle of Williamsburg in 1862, The home of the Page descendants in Williamsburg, these soldiers of the U.S. Army are looting it. And it's not only the portrait of Selim, but it's letters from Jefferson, letters from other founding fathers Mm -hmm. are all part of what they're looting and then sending home to New England. So letters between Jefferson and John Page Mm -hmm. are part of the booty Mm -hmm. that's stolen. But the portrait of Selim disappears. It's never seen again. It has disappeared to this day. And it has disappeared to this day. So the only image we have of Salim is a line drawing that was made from the portrait. And that's the image that you see in books that have been printed about Salim ever since. There are conflicting reports about Salim's final years. 
According to an account by the daughter of John Page, her father took him to Rosewell. It was there that he resided for much of his remaining years and became part of a Page family and was generally considered a favorite by all that knew him. Near the end of his life, Slim got so sick that they probably took him over to the madhouse. People who visited him said he'd only wear regimental outfits and he always slept outdoors, but he remained kind and cheerful all through his illness. He would have coherent periods and at times would recover to some degree of clarity and finally passed away. Williamsburg's first, it's called a public hospital, is the first of its kind that's dedicated to treating people with mental illness. And the goal there was to provide housing for what they termed people of a disordered mind. That's a catch-all phrase for psychological disorders, cognitive disabilities, and various other forms of mental health distress. Today, I would not be the least bit surprised if a medical professional would have diagnosed him with PTSD Mm -hmm. from all of his traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And he is a pioneering hospital to treat those who are mentally ill. It it just adds one more layer of fascination to his story. In 1848, a newspaper man saw the portrait of Salim, he wrote. I saw a portrait of a man of 50 or more, of rather swarthy complexion, a full, short, cut beard, his head crowned by a straw hat, tied on with a checkered handkerchief in an Indian blanket thrown partly off his shoulders. If anybody hears this and they have that portrait, hopefully a bell will go off. Thus, the mystery of the portrait and the penultimate segment of the story of Salim remain. Like Salim's vision, surreal and opaque, but tantalizingly within grasp. When you and I were first talking about this story, I said that I'd recently heard an analogy that stories can serve as windows or mirrors. A window might give us a unique perspective into something, something previously unknown to us. And a mirror is going to actually tell us something about ourselves, right? Something within the story that seems to resonate or that gives us a larger truth. What do you think about that? I think it's a great way to learn more about the story of Selim the Algerian. Because it's not his story. He's not the... We're not reading his account. We're not reading his his account. His story is always retold by others. So... His story is seen through a lens of other people, and the windows and the mirrors of his story are really windows and mirrors into their lives, not Mm -hmm. necessarily Salim's life. You really find yourself wondering, is it reflecting the people that he encountered in colonial Virginia? His story gets told again and again. The details change Mm -hmm. with various retellings. It seems to disappear and then it comes back in a new version. But there's something compelling about Salim's story 
that it always gets revived. I can't believe it hasn't been made into a movie already. David, it was delightful to be back and across the table from you, and I learn something every time I see you. Thank you, Jacqueline. This was most enjoyable to share this unusual tale of Salim. And so thank you all for listening. And thanks to Martin Claggett for the latest version of the story of Salim. <laughs>